We're so glad that y'all have joined us online for worship today, and we're positive that God has something specifically to speak just to you. We want you to know that you are always welcome here at First Baptist Azel, and that you can connect with us by going online to fbcazel.org forward slash connect. Now let's hop back into the sermon and hear what God has for us today. We are so glad that y'all joined us today. If you don't know who I am, uh, my name is Chris Brown, and I'm the associate pastor here uh, at First Baptist Azel. Uh, pastor Lee is on a vacation, uh, and it's actually a true vacation because he left all of his kids here, and him and his wife uh, just drove. Uh, last I heard, they were in the Smoky Mountains, so who knows where they are today, uh, but um, they are taking some, some well-deserved time off. And I like that because I get to talk to you, and I, I like talking to you. Um, but uh, lately, we've been going through a series called um, Precious, uh, and it, the whole series is geared around living life around what matters most. And so I want to kind of continue on in that series uh, while he's gone. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open up to Romans chapter 8. And really, uh, this series is meant to to dig into what the Bible considers precious, and once we figure out what the Bible considers precious, um, adapt our lives to, to think the same. Like if the Bible calls life precious, then we should also call life precious. And if the Bible calls wisdom precious, then we should also call that precious. And so we're going to dive into uh, another subject today that I think um, every Christian should consider precious in their life. Uh, so again, we are in, in, in Romans chapter 8, uh, verses 10 through 11. Let's go ahead and stand up together, and we'll read this passage. Starting in verse 10. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Right, let's pray. God, uh, as we dig into your word for a few minutes, I pray, God, that, um, that you would open up our eyes and open up our hearts that we might see and hear what you have for us. God, that we can learn um, some truths about who you are and about what you do and, and in hearing those truths, God, that we, can, that we can be changed, that we can leave this place different than we came before. God, in your son's name I pray. Amen. Or y'all can have a seat. Well, um, have you ever had something in your life that was relatively unimportant? But then something happened in your life, and that same thing that used to be unimportant is now very important. Like this thing uh, that you had had little value. If for whatever reason it was gone tomorrow, your life would be relatively unchanged. Uh, but then there's an event that happens in your life, and because that event happens in your life, now this thing that had very little value now has a ton of value, and you don't see yourself living without it. Well, I had one of those moments um, this year. If you don't know, back in February, uh, we had the birth of my uh, first child, uh, my daughter named Lottie. 
And it's interesting uh, that before uh, she was born, I had very little interest in this thing right here. It's like the phone, or not, sorry, the, the camera on my phone. Very little interest. I would use it every now and then uh, to take pictures of events, or if I need to check to see if I have something in my teeth, I might pull it out. Uh, but I, had, I didn't use it very often. If it was gone, it wouldn't have been a huge deal to me. Even less of a deal to me was the Photos app. And if you have an iPhone, um, in the Photos app a year or two ago, they put a lot of work into it. And when you open up the Photos app, there's actually a tab that says For You, and it curates the photos that you've taken and forms them into memories and says, here's what you did two years ago, and here's a collage of this person. And I thought to myself when they put that out, I'm like, what a waste of money. Why would anyone invest that much time in that? Because I could care less about the photos app in, in my life. Um, like, if they curated memories for me, they would be memories of selfies. Who wants to see that? Um, but then, my daughter was born. And all of a sudden, this little camera on my phone that was seemingly unimportant, all of a sudden became very important to my life. All of a sudden, I found myself taking a ton of pictures of my daughter, and not only taking a ton of pictures of my daughter, I find myself constantly looking at the pictures that I have taken of my daughter. Um, Lottie could be sitting right in front of me, playing on the floor, and me and my wife are sitting looking at pictures of her. And so it's weird that this thing that had very little significance on my life, all of a sudden, I can't see myself living without it. And I'd be remiss to tell you about the pictures I take of Lottie without showing you a few. Um, so here's a few pictures. So here's Lottie um, enjoying her first chocolate muffin. And then here's the next one. This is her. I think this is the first time we ever fed her like solids. And she's got yogurt all over her face. This one is one where uh, she wouldn't let me get her dressed. Um, and by the way, I didn't realize that whenever you became a parent that you had to all of a sudden wrestle babies. That was a weird realization. No one ever told me that. Um, so that's her. Uh, this is her at Halloween. It's uh, Lottie Potter is uh, her name. And then this one is uh, we put my Apple watch on her and she realized that she loves Apple. And so she's a good girl. Yeah. Look at that face. She's just so excited about that. Yeah. So that's all I could show you. I, I, I could show you a lot more pictures, but I'll, I'll stop it right there. Um, but again, uh, the birth of my child all of a sudden made something that was insignificant in my life, uh, very significant in my life. And I think there's a similar situation happening, or that should happen in the life of every Christian. Like, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, that event should make it to where things that were unimportant and insignificant in your life now should be significant, near and dear, and precious to your life. And so we're going to take a look at one of those today, and I'm hoping that after we look at this, that we will leave here today having a greater appreciation for this part of our life. So let's go back to the verse for today, 8. Uh, Romans 8, chapter, sorry, Romans 8, verse 10. It says this, But if Christ is in you, uh, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, 
He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. Now, you've probably noticed a couple of times in that passage, it mentioned a few things. It kept saying, like, if Christ is in you, if the Spirit of Him is in you, if He dwells in you, if the Spirit dwells in you, you mentions that multiple times. And that's one of the things that I really want to wrap our mind around before we really dig into this, is that if you have placed your faith in Jesus, the very Spirit of Jesus, the very Spirit of God, is in you. The very Spirit that guided Jesus, the very Spirit that raised Jesus, lives inside of you. That's a big statement, and if you don't think that that's a big statement, then let's just do a little bit of a history lesson to to recap what's going on. So back in the Old Testament, when Adam and Eve were kicked out of the Garden of Eden, um, their relationship with God was fractured. They could no longer be in the presence of God. And then from there on, there was just these fractured moments um, where God would interact with his people. The closest thing that we see of God dwelling among his people is when the Israelites are in the wilderness and God um, uh, tells them to build a tent of meeting. By the way, we're going through this on Wednesday night Bible study, so if you're more interested in that, come this Wednesday. Uh, But... But when God starts to dwell among the Israelites, there's all of these stipulations around it. So God would dwell in this one specific place, and only one person, the high priest in all of Israel, could enter into that place once a year for a brief amount of time to give an offering for the people of Israel. So we go to contrast that, we go from only one person in the entire nation for one day a year for a limited amount of time could come into the presence of God, and fast forward to the New Testament where the Spirit of God dwells within us fully. That should cause us to have great appreciation for that. It's like when COVID hit and uh, a lot of things locked down and uh, we stopped meeting in person for uh, a few weeks that caused us to have a greater appreciation for meeting together as a church. And sometimes I fear that because we don't know what it's like to not have the Spirit, we sometimes lose our appreciation for having the Spirit in our life. And so because the Spirit of God dwells within us, there's some implications uh, that come out of that, and there's some roles that he plays in that. And so what I want to do today is I want to, uh, through this passage, dive into three roles that the Spirit plays in our life by dwelling within us. And hopefully, um, after learning a little bit about what the Spirit is doing in our life, you can leave here today having a greater appreciation for the Spirit and hold the Spirit near and dear and precious to your life. Okay, so we're going to look at three things, three roles that the Spirit plays. We're going to look at the the role of the Spirit in our salvation. We're going to look at the role of the Spirit in our sanctification. And we're going to look at the, the role of the Spirit in our adoption. Okay, so let's go ahead and get into it. So first one, the role of Spirit in our salvation. So normally when we start talking about salvation and how that came about, uh, we usually start to talk about the cross. And that's not a bad place to start by any means. Um, The cross is a very important part of salvation. Uh, Jesus came down uh, into the form of man, fully God, fully man, lived a perfect, sinless life, um, died on the cross, bearing our sin, bearing our punishment, and through his death and resurrection, salvation is now uh, readily available to all who trust in Jesus for the salvation of their souls. That's an important thing that we probably all know. However, the Spirit does play an important role in our salvation. And I would go this far to say, without the Spirit of God, salvation would not be possible at all. 
Okay, so let's read the passage. So uh, back to verse 10 of Romans 8. Uh, Now, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies, here's the important part, through the Spirit who dwells in you. Now, I'm going to get a little bit nuanced here in talking about the different roles of uh, what, um, what the Spirit does in our salvation and what Jesus does in our salvation, because I think it's really important to understand the different roles. Um, like Good Baptist, um, we tend to talk a whole lot about God the Son. And a lot of us probably have a really good understanding of what God the Son does. A lot of us have a decent understanding of what God the Father does, but in Baptist we tend to not talk a whole lot about the Spirit. And so there's a lot of people that I fear don't have a full understanding of what the Spirit even does in our salvation. So again, um, Christ did an amazing work on the cross, but the work on the cross doesn't automatically save you. The work on the cross merely opens the door for salvation to become possible. Now here's what the Spirit does. When the Spirit comes and dwells within you, It takes salvation from being a possibility in your life and then makes salvation a reality in your life. And so instead of being a theory, you could be saved, when the Spirit dwells within you, it is you are saved. Make sense? Let me explain it this way. Um, So this might be a little bit irreverent, so forgive me a little bit. But let's say that uh, salvation is a pizza. And so, if salvation is a pizza, then that means that Jesus is the pizza maker. Now, here's the problem. If Jesus makes the pizza, the problem is, is that we're over here, and how is the pizza going to get from here to here? You almost need a delivery guy, if you will. That's the Holy Spirit. So, the Holy Spirit is the delivery guy of this pizza, and then once he delivers salvation to us, bam, we're happy. Make sense? So... And just to make it full circle, uh, if Jesus is the pizza maker and the Holy Spirit is the delivery guy, then that makes God the Father, Papa John. Sorry, Father John. Okay. (laughs) Uh, We'll put Lee's email up so that way you can just, uh, you can email him all your concerns about me preaching. Okay. It sounds a little nuanced, and it sounds like I'm nitpicking here, but it's really important to understand the roles that the Trinity plays in our salvation. Because again, if you don't understand, if you think that um, one part of the Trinity does 100% of what's going on, then all of a sudden you're going to have less of an appreciation for the other parts. And there is the Spirit of God dwelling within you, who um, through Him, salvation has been brought to your life. And so that should cause us to be Um, appreciative of the Spirit and thankful for the Spirit. So when it comes to salvation, the Spirit is the one who takes the possibility of salvation through the work on the cross and makes it a reality in us by dwelling within us. All right, so that's point one, the Spirit's role in our salvation. Let's get into point two, uh, the Spirit's role in our sanctification. Now, sanctification is kind of a big Christianese word, and um, half of us in here probably would have a hard time defining what it is. So here's a couple of definitions. So sanctification definition is uh, the act of making or declaring something holy. Another definition is uh, the action or process of being freed from sin. 
Now here is exactly what the Spirit does in our life. Sanctification happens after salvation. And so um, after salvation, the Spirit is working in your life, making you more and more holy, making you more and more like Christ. You can't have the Spirit of Christ in you and not start to become more like Christ. So the Spirit's job in us is to make us more holy and take us through the process of being freed from our sin. Romans 8, 12, the next verse uh, says this. So then, brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Because if you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So there's two things going on there. One, he's saying that um, now that you have the Spirit, you are no longer obligated to live according to the flesh. How is that so? That's the second thing in this, is that through the Spirit, by the Spirit, you can put to death the deeds of the body. Now, what does that mean for you? That means that if you are a Christian and you've placed your faith in Christ, that means that you no longer have to sin. Now, I'm not saying that you won't sin. I'm saying you no longer have to sin. Before Christ, without the Spirit, all you have is your sinful flesh. And all that your sinful flesh can do is sin. In fact, a few verses before this, um, in Romans 8, it lays out that uh, the mind that is set on the flesh cannot follow God's law. It cannot please God. It's hostile to God. That's the only thing it knows how to do. So prior to Christ, the only thing you knew how to do was sin. Even when you think you weren't sinning, you were sinning, right? After Christ, when the Spirit comes and dwells in you, all of a sudden that changes. And all of a sudden, before where all you could do was sin, now you're not obligated to that anymore. You now have another choice. There is now a choice in your life between the flesh and the Spirit. And so that means through the Spirit, you can defeat any sin in your life. And, and I mean, like, literally any sin. Like, I don't care if you've been addicted to something for years. Through the Spirit, you can defeat that sin. I don't care what your shortcomings are, whether it's anger or greed or jealousy or lust. Whatever it is, through the Spirit in your life, you can overcome that thing. You're no longer obligated to live in that way anymore. Now, that's easier said than done, right? Like, I can stand up here all day long and read you a verse and say, through the Spirit, you don't have to sin. But what does that look for us practically in life? And so the question is, how do we allow the Spirit to come into our life and work in such a way where we're not obligated to live according to the flesh anymore? Here's how you do it. It's really simple, but here's how you do it. You feed the Spirit and you starve the flesh. What you feed will grow. If you feed the Spirit, it will grow. And if you starve the flesh, it will grow weaker. Now, let me put it this way. So um, I have a cat, and that cat's name is Kodiak, and I've had him for about five years now. And um, Kodiak has always been a pretty honorary cat, right? Like, like, do any of you have those cats that they get mad at you and then just pee on your stuff? This is Kodiak. Like, uh, I would leave for a couple of days, and that would make him mad, and he would poop on my bed, that's what cats do. So when I was single, it was fine. You know, I could deal with this. And then uh, I got married, and me and my wife uh, moved into our house. 
And Kodiak um, started peeing in the back rooms, and so we realized if we ever let him in a back room, he would immediately go to the closet and pee. Don't know why, he's just weird. So what we did was we closed off the back rooms. There's something about the living room that would make it where he wouldn't pee in there. Um, well, then we have Lottie, and then there was like a weird territorial issue going on between my cat and Lottie. Uh, and so he decided, hey, I'm not just gonna pee in your back rooms, I'm gonna pee in your living room now. And so one time happened, and I'm like, he's a cat, we'll let it slide. Second time happened, um, I'm like, okay, my fault. I should have petted him that day. I don't know. Third time it happened, mm-mm, no, mm-mm. we have to have a talk, cat. So, because here's what he did he went and peed next to a baseboard. Here's what happened that pee soaked into the baseboard, soaked under the baseboard into the drywall, and into the subfloor. Here's what I had to do. I had to cut out the baseboard, throw it away. I had to cut out the drywall where the pee soaked into and then bleach the subfloor. Needless to say, Kodiak found a new home that night outside of my door. Uh, and before you start calling PETA, he likes it. He's fine. He's, it took him a few days to adjust, but, but uh, he's doing great out there. Now, I say that to say this. Whenever I placed him outside, we started feeding him. And then magically, one cat turned into three cats. Uh, And then, which is fine, I'd rather have three cats outside than one cat inside. Uh, So so that happened, and what I realized was, is we would fill up his his food jar, and it's one of those food jars that kind of like self-fills, like whenever they eat, it just keeps coming through. So I'd fill the thing all the way up, uh, like at 8 p.m., and then the next day I'd wake up, and it's bone dry. And I would think to myself, I'm like, that's weird. Like, even with three cats, how are they eating that much food? That happened a couple nights in a row. I'm like, something weird is going on. So one night, uh, around 10 p.m., I heard a wrestling on the front porch, and I'm like, what's going on out here? Open the door. There's three raccoons on my front porch just going to town on that food. And they were like plump raccoons. I've been feeding them well. And I'm like, okay, well, this is where all the food is going. My poor cat doesn't get any food because the raccoons eat it. Um, another night, I open the door, a possum is there. And so here's the, the reality of the situation. Whatever food I put out is going to attract whatever eats that food, right? So if I leave food out on my front, por- front porch at night, who comes out at night? Possums and raccoons. So they're going to come and eat that food. They don't come out during the day, just at night. Now, what reality does that bring to our life? I think that at times we are feeding the flesh in our life and then wondering why it's still there. If I'm feeding cats, I can't be perplexed as why there are cats in my front door. And same thing with our sin. There are people in this room that I'm sure have been struggling with sin for year in and year out and year in and year out, and you're constantly asking yourself, why can't I kick this sin? Well, maybe you might be leaving breadcrumbs for that sin in your life. If you're a person who struggles with lust and find yourself um, on uh, parts of the internet that you don't need to be on, and you wonder why you can't kick that, well, take a look at what you're watching on TV. You might be watching some racy stuff on TV that's just leaving breadcrumbs that's going to pull you back to that sin. You might be a person that struggles with worry and anxiety, and um, 
you wonder why you can't stop worrying in your life, but you are consuming yourself with the worries of the world through the news and the drama of Facebook. You might be leaving food out for that sin just to come right back. And so what you need to do, if you ever wanna um, go to battle with sin in your life, if you ever wanna live in such a way where you're not obligated to live according to the flesh, but through the spirit you can put to death the deeds of the body, maybe what you need to do is evaluate where you're leaving food out in your life and attracting sin back into your life. You need to starve the flesh and feed the spirit. So instead of consuming yourself with the worries of Facebook, with the worries of the election, maybe you need to consume yourself with the worries of God. Maybe you need to spend less time um, being anxious about anything and more time through prayer and supplication, giving thanksgiving to God in everything. Maybe you need to spend less time watching TV and more time studying God and who he is. Feed the spirit, starve the flesh. And in that way, the spirit will do his work in sanctifying you and freeing you from your sin in your life. Okay? So that's the role of the spirit in our sanctif- sorry, that's the role of the spirit in our sanctification to work in us and to free us from our sin. Let's get into the last one, the, the last point. So we've got the spirit's role in our salvation, the spirit's role in our sanctification, and lastly, the spirit's role in our adoption. Romans 8:14, the next verse, uh, says this: "For all those led by God's spirit are God's sons." For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received a spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. So here's what the spirit, or this passage lays out. Is that when the spirit comes and dwells within you, he's not only bringing um, uh, the salvific work of the cross with him. He's not only bringing salvation and freeing you from the sin in your life. What the spirit is bringing with him is a spirit of adoption in which our um, relationship with God radically changes. God is no longer the creator of the universe by which we have a relationship with him. God is our own father. And the relationship between a creator and the relationship between a father are two different things and they afford different benefits at all. And there's plenty of passages that talk about how um, before we were slaves, before we were servants, and now we're sons. And because we're sons, we have different things. Now, one of the things I want to focus on here is that because we have uh, received the spirit of adoption, we now have the ability to cry out to God, Abba, Father. If you don't know what the word Abba means, it's the um, Arabic word uh, for father, and then father was the, uh, well, not father, but uh, then you have the Greek word for father there. Now, there's some theological implications to that that I'm not going to get into right now, but what I want to get into is that through the spirit, we now have the ability to call out to God on a child-to-father relationship level. Now, I didn't fully understand the significance of this, again, until I had Lottie. Or, I didn't have Lottie, thank goodness. My wife had Lottie. <laughs> uh, but until I became a dad, I didn't fully understand the significance of the child-to-father relationship. And um, even this week, I have a greater understanding of this. This past week, uh, my child uh, started babbling, and so that's been fun. And so about... Uh, 75% of the day, she'll spend her time just going, da, 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 just walking around. Or she doesn't walk around. But, um, 
Now, she doesn't quite associate it with me yet. If she sees me, she'll say da-da-da-da-da. If she sees Randy, she'll say da-da-da-da. If she sees her favorite toy, she says da-da-da-da-da. It's just what she does. Um, but it gives me a glimpse into the future because I'm, I'm thrilled that she says da-da-da. Like, I like that. And um, in the future, it will eventually get to the point where she starts to associate da-da with me and I can tell you this, uh, being that child's father, if she ever comes to me and says the word dada, I am fully attentive, ready to hear what she has to say. She could walk in uh, our room at three o'clock in the morning, wake me up from a daze and say, dad, and sleepily, but attentively, I'll be listening to what she has for me. By contrast, if your child calls me in the middle of the night and says, dad, I'm hanging up the phone. And why is that? I'm not going to respond to your children the same way that I'm going to respond to my child because my child has a level of access to me that no one else has. She can come and bother me at any time. I might get annoyed at times, but she can come and bother me at any time because that's her right. That's her ability as my child where y'all don't have that ability. In the same way, because the Spirit of God lives within us and gives us a spirit of adoption by which we can call out to God, Father, we have that same access to God. That's what I was trying to get at, is that you are no longer slaves, you are no longer servants, you are sons of God. So take advantage of that, is the thing, is that you have unmitigated access to God to bring your problems to Him, to bring your requests to Him. Like, take advantage of that. Now, here's the thing. That doesn't mean he's going to say yes every time. Like a good father, he's not going to say yes to every single request that you make to him. But he'll listen. And the word promises that he wants to hear your request made known to him. Now, the question is, is do you view God in a relationship that way? Do you view God as a good father? Or do you view God as some distant off being who every time that you sin, you feel like he's mad at you? Or do you feel like God, as someone who's disinterested in your life, and you're just sitting over here um, hitting wall after wall after wall, and you're wondering why God isn't even listening to you? Or do you view God as a father who's ready to hear your concerns? Do you view God as a father who's ready to pick you up when you fall down? Do you view God as a father who, when you sin, um, he doesn't approve of it, but he's ready to take you back in open arms? and guide you through the next part of your life. Because that's what it means to view God as a father. And so we need to come to God as a father. And because of the Spirit's work in our life, we now have the ability to do that. We are now called children of God. And by the way, um, I don't have this verse in here, uh, but later on in the very next verse, uh, there's certain implications that being called children of God affords us. And one of those implications is that um, we are heirs of God, but even more crazy, we are co-heirs with Christ. Now, that's a huge topic to unpack in which we don't have time to unpack right now, but essentially what it's saying is everything that is promised to Jesus is also promised to us. That's what it means to be co-heirs with Christ. Jesus himself said in John 14, I believe, maybe 15, that when he leaves, that the Father is going to send the Spirit, and when the Spirit comes, the Spirit is going to declare everything that was Jesus's to us. 
Like, wrap your mind around that statement. Everything that is declared to Jesus is declared to us by the Spirit. We are co-heirs with him. Again, I don't fully understand what that means, but I can tell you this. Um, there has some salvific implications in our life, uh, but it also has some future glorification implications in our life uh, where God lays out that um, when the new heaven and the new earth is created and all sin is abolished and thrown into the lake of fire, God is going to turn over the new heaven and the new earth to Jesus to rule it. And I think... I'll say the word think really, really strongly there. I think us being co-heirs with Christ, the Spirit declaring everything that is Jesus to us is in some weird, uh, profound way, in the same way that Christ is going to rule the new heaven and the new earth, we are going to be co-rulers with Christ in that. Co-heirs of the new heaven and the new earth. Again, we could speculate for hours on this, and I'll let you all do that over your lunch as to what that means. But the point is this, is because the Spirit dwells in our life within each and every one of you who has put your faith in Jesus, you are now called a child of God. And you now have unmitigated access with God as a father and are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. So the Spirit of, uh, of God dwelling within us should be precious in our life. But uh, I don't want there to be any confusion as we leave here today. Um, If you've never placed your faith in Jesus, then you don't have the Spirit of God. I think sometimes we talk talk very generally um, about salvation and God's love and Jesus' work on the cross. And I think uh, sometimes to people looking in from the outside, they can almost see it as kind of a universalism kind of thing where, where because Jesus died on the cross and God loves the world, then everyone's saved. And that's just not true. It's very clear that that Jesus' work on the cross opens the door for salvation and God is offering salvation to anyone who who desires it. And um, uh, it's through us placing our faith in Jesus that salvation comes to our life and the Spirit of God comes into our life. So I don't want anyone to walk out these doors. I don't want anyone watching online to leave this right now saying that they have the Spirit of God if they've never placed their faith in Jesus. Because you don't. But here's the great thing. You can always do it today. Like there's no, there's no down payment you have to make. It's very simple. You just place your face in Jesus, follow God and abandon yourself. And that's what it looks like to trust Jesus with your life. And if you do that, then the spirit of God will indwell you today. Let's pray. God, I thank you uh, for bringing us here and I thank you for your word and I thank you, God, that, that your spirit is such a key part of our life. And Lord, we, uh, we apologize and we ask for forgiveness where um, we haven't given him the credit he deserves. But Lord, we are coming to you now um, thankful for that. I pray, God, that, that for anyone who calls themselves a Christian, for anyone who has placed their faith in Christ, God, that they would have a greater appreciation for who the Spirit is in their life today. God, that they would look to you um, as a key to the salvation afforded by the cross. God, that they would look to you um, as the way to triumph over sin. They would look to you as a way to be freed from their sin. And God, most importantly, we are thankful that through the Spirit, God, that we can come to you as a Father and that you are good. 
and that you are right there ready to hear us. God, I pray for anyone who's not a Christian in this room, who's never placed their faith in Christ, that you would be at work in their lives in this very moment, pushing them and, and leading them to trust in you and to receive the Spirit of God. We're gonna take a few moments here. We're gonna sing a song. And during this time of uh, response, uh, we just invite you to, to do whatever God is leading you to do. That may be to pray in your seat. That may be to come pray up here at the altar. It may mean come up here and, and, and tell me like, hey, I don't know who Jesus is and I'd love to know him. And we'd love to walk you through that. Maybe the Spirit is leading you um, to make this place your church home. Maybe you've been visiting with us for a while and you want to call this place your home. Again, just come up and we'd love to walk you through that process. Whatever you have, we encourage you to do that today. Let's go ahead and stand up together. And uh, as we stand, this time is for you. Do whatever God is leading you to do. Well, thanks for joining us today online for our worship service. We hope that you are ministered and encouraged to while you're with us. And we just want to remind you that you can connect with us online by going to fbcazel.org forward slash connect. We hope to see you again next week.